This morning we're going to continue with our series on the Gospel of Matthew on uh, Advent in the book of Matthew. And uh, if you want to turn to your, your in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. But as you know, we've these four weeks of Advent, each Sunday we light a different candle. Uh, and each Sunday we've been looking at another part of Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2 to just guide us through the Christmas story. You know, Matthew 1 and 2 contains Matthew's account. Luke 2 contains Luke's account, Luke 1 and 2. Uh, but we've primarily been focusing on the Gospel of Matthew. So this morning I want to start off by reading the text. We're going to look at Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. So 1, 18 through 25. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until he had, she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we want to talk about what happened. What in the world just happened? You know, um, on March 11, 2020, earlier this year, about nine months ago, Sarah and I, like many of you, probably tuned in your TV and uh, sat down in front of the TV to watch President Trump address the nation about this brand new coronavirus pandemic. So we sat down and he was saying this and that. And then he said something that really caught my attention. He said, uh, and I've enacted a travel ban uh, on passengers coming from Europe. And that was kind of the moment when this whole pandemic thing got real to me. I said, whoa, whoa, he just shut down travel from Europe? Uh, what just happened? What's happening here? Uh, and then, you know, two days later on March 13, President Trump actually declared it a national, uh, uh, a national emergency. But perhaps more significantly on that day, on March 13, we got an email from our teachers or from the administration at North Lake Christian School. Any of you who have kids in school can identify with this. We got this email from the administration that said, hey, just so you know, we're going to suspend all classes, and you're going to be doing school from home virtually or uh, remotely uh, for, the, for at least the next month. At that point, we thought it was just going to be for four weeks. And for Sarah, that's when it got real, okay? <laughs> that's when Sarah said, wait, what just happened? I'm now a teacher of five kids. Um, and uh, some of you are used to that. We were not used to that at our house. So uh, that's when it got real for her. And she said, what just happened? And then again, uh, a couple days later, on March 22, Louisiana, uh, the governor followed the lead of many other states and uh, imposed this stay-at-home order. And all of a sudden, all across the country, all of us were locked down in our homes. Um, and I remember we were probably all thinking, wait, what just happened here? What is happening? 
You know, in about the course of 10 days, we went from banning foreign travel to having school at home to now being locked away in our homes indefinitely. And again, we were asking that question, what is happening? What happened? Unexpected circumstances. You know, today we're looking at this story in Matthew chapter 1 that I just read to you. And and Joseph, who's kind of the, the person, the, the main human character in this story, is no doubt asking that same question. Wait, what just happened? What's happening here? You know, he's the fiancé of Mary and he gets this unexpected news. And I'm sure he's asking that question. Because life for Joseph suddenly takes this left turn and goes in a direction he did not expect Um, A direction that he did not want, I'm sure. What happened? But you know, as we're going to see today, because of what happens in this story, in the Christmas story, no matter what unexpected circumstances you face, or I face, now, in the past, or in the future, no matter what we face, we can have hope and peace and joy and experience the love of God because of this story, because of what happens in this story. And the good news of this story that we're going to see, uh, you heard it in the text, is that God is with us. God is with us. So let's look closer at this story. I want us to look at actually what happened. And this is actually a really straightforward text. Not every story in the Bible is this way, but it kind of just says this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Uh, But when you get to the end, you have to step back and say, wait, but what really just happened? And so that's what we want to uncover this morning as we look at it. If you have a bulletin, you'll see uh, there are four things that we're going to be looking at, four things that happened. And so in verses 18 and 19, the first thing that happens is a discovery. Okay, what we see happening with Joseph is this discovery that he makes. And uh, verse 18, it says that uh, when Mary, when the mother of Jesus, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And it says that her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what Joseph does here is he makes this disastrous discovery. You call it a, a dreadful discovery. Uh, I'm sure if you're in Joseph's shoes, you would call it a very disappointing discovery. Um, and and if, again, I would just encourage you, this is something that uh, as I was going through seminary and Bible college that I was encouraged to do, read the scriptures with a sense of imagination, basically. Put yourself as if you were one of the characters in the story. Think about it as if you are Joseph in this story, or maybe you're Joseph's sister, or Joseph's mom, or his dad, or his relative, or his friend. What would you feel if all of a sudden you heard this news that, hey, did you hear about Mary? Uh, she's pregnant. Uh, And it's not Joseph's baby. What would you think? You know, uh, across all cultures, weddings are some of the most anticipated, exciting events that humans look forward to. A lot of planning goes into weddings. And we don't see any of that included in this story, but we can be sure they did have wedding plans. And uh, no doubt Joseph was looking forward to that. And then, boom, he discovers that Mary is pregnant. And the text makes a couple things clear. It says he found out or she was found to be pregnant. It says, first of all, it was before they were married, is while they were betrothed, uh, while they were engaged. It says before they came together. So this is not Joseph's baby. Um, and then it says it was for, this child was from the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but guess what? Joseph doesn't know that yet. That's just Matthew's comment. So Joseph doesn't know any of this. And so what does it say he does? In verse 19, here's his reaction. He says, I'm going to divorce her quietly. Now you might be saying, hold on, hold on. Verse 19, how can he divorce her if they're not even married yet? 
Well, this is a cultural thing. In the New Testament, when couples are engaged, it's actually a legal agreement. They've already basically entered into a legal agreement, uh, not a contract, but a covenant of sorts, so that if they're going to end the engagement, there actually has to be a divorce that takes place. And so Joseph's reaction is he doesn't want to publicly shame her and bring it all out in the open like he could have. He says he's going to divorce her quietly because he's a righteous and just man. And again, if you think about this, again, just from Joseph's perspective about who this man is, he's really an, a remarkable person. Because think about the disappointment he would have felt. Again, knowing that his fiancée is pregnant, we don't know how he found out, how he discovered it. Mary may have told him, maybe somebody else told him. Either way, he discovers this. And I'm sure he was disappointed. And yet he says, even in the midst of this disappointment, and this distress, I'm still going to show her mercy and compassion and just quietly end this and go my separate way. So that's his plan. That's Joseph's plan. He has a disastrous discovery, but he plans to move forward um, the best he knows how. And so I would just be curious this morning, have you ever faced unexpected news like that? Maybe not like that, but some kind of unexpected news that's just a crisis, um, an unwelcome discovery. Maybe you get a cancer diagnosis. In a small way, a couple of weeks ago, we, we found out one of our kids had COVID. That was unwelcome news. It was unexpected. Maybe you find out that a family member had an affair or that you just lost a fortune in a business deal or a stock market deal. When you get that kind of an unwelcome news or an unexpected discovery, how do you respond? How do you respond? Because that's what happens with Joseph. Joseph hears this news and he says, okay, well, here's my plan. Well, guess what? The next thing that happens is a revelation. God gives a revelation to Joseph. And I think it's important for us to realize this, that Joseph's response in this story is shaped directly by God's revelation. And that's important because how many times, uh, you know, it says Joseph got this unexpected news. He makes a plan and then he gets a revelation from God and he changes his plan. God says, don't go the way you are going. I want you to go this this way. And how many times does that happen with us in life? I think there's a lesson here for us is that when you have unexpected circumstances and you think you know the right way to go. We need to check the revelation from God and make our decisions in line with what he's revealed in his word uh, through his people, but especially through his word. So he gets this unexpected news and then God sends him an unexpected revelation. Look at what the, the angel says in this story. So here's the thing. Whenever you read a story in scripture, some of the most important words that you can notice are words that one person says to another. So now we have another character, this angel who comes into the story. But what this angel makes clear is that the main character in the story is actually not Joseph. The main character in this story is actually not Mary. The main character in this story is God. God is orchestrating things and God is unfolding his plan. He's revealing his plan to Joseph. And since we have the Holy Scriptures, he's revealing it even to us today. The beauty of his plan to save the world. And so here's what he says uh, to Joseph in verses 20 and 21. The angel says, as Joseph was considering these things, in other words, he was thinking about how he was going to go through with this divorce, this plan to get rid of Mary. uh, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
So a couple of things I want to point out about what this angel says. Again, the words the angel says are very important. God sent this angel, so clearly he had something important to say to Joseph. The first thing he says is, Joseph, son of David. God is reminding Joseph who he is, where he comes from, and the fact that he has a heritage that God has always promised that he was going to use to do great things. You read the Old Testament, the family of David, King David, is one of the most uh, is, is, is the promised family. God says, I'm going to bring redemption through this family. So the very first thing the angel says to Joseph is, remember where you come from. You're part of this plan that God has. And then the angel says, do not fear. Have you noticed this in, in scripture? Whenever an angel shows up, almost the first words out of their mouths are, do not fear. Uh, in Luke 2, in the classic Christmas story that we hear so much, uh, the angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Don't be afraid. Well, why would Joseph be afraid, other than the fact that there's an angel standing there talking to him? Again, put yourself back in his shoes again. What does he have to be afraid of? Well, it says he had, he is a righteous man. So all of a sudden now, his fiance is pregnant. And so now he has the, the, the legitimate danger of losing his reputation. You know, uh, the thought is, I'm sure as he was thinking through this, and, and the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He's thinking, also, he's going to be raising someone else's kid at this point. He still doesn't know where this kid comes from at this very moment. Uh, he's going to be raising someone else's kid. Never really will know who the father is, right? This is not the day where you can go take a paternity test and determine who's the father of this child. So all this is probably going through his head. And you know what? I think the other thing that you see here is uh, some of these fears are actually valid, that people are going to look at Joseph and his family and say, oh, yeah, Joseph and Mary, they didn't, they didn't wait till they were married. You know, Jesus is this kind of illegitimate child. And guess what? Some of those fears actually did come true. If you read the Gospel of John uh, in chapter 8, uh, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, and they're, they kind of imply, basically, they're like, well, we know who our parents are, but nobody really knows who yours are. Um, and they're implying this. So some of those things that I'm sure Joseph would have been or was afraid of ended up coming true. So the angel says to him, do not fear. We can see why he would fear, but now the Holy Spirit tells Joseph, here's the reason why you don't need to fear. Did you catch it in here? Uh, it's in verse 20. Uh, verse 20, it says, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is the point where the story kind of changes, that Joseph now has a revelation from God where the angel reveals that this is not an ordinary child. There is no human father for this baby. God has miraculously placed this child into Mary and there's going to be a supernatural birth. A supernatural birth will take place. And that's really the revelation that the angel makes, is that God becomes a human in this story. God becomes a human. You think about where this story takes place in the Bible. right? You have the whole Old Testament, all these stories of God choosing his people and asking them to follow him, and they fail, they fail, they fail. He gives them chance after chance. And says, come back to me, come back to me. And they fail, they fail, they fail. We went through the minor prophets this summer, for those of you who are around for that. And they fail, and they fail, and they fail. And then you come to the New Testament. And suddenly you have this story about this miraculous birth where God chooses to become a human. What an amazing thing. The angel reveals that there's going to be 
God becoming human. This is a, let me throw out a, a theological term for you, okay? You didn't know you were going to get this today. But here's a big word that's important in scripture. It's called incarnation, okay? The incarnation, that's what we call the birth of Christ. That's when God took on human flesh. God became a human. That's the miracle of the Christmas story. God put on flesh. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came into the world as a human so that he could save humans like no one else could. You know, have you ever, uh, I'm going to flip over to John chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, flip over there with me. John chapter 1, a little earlier in that chapter as it's introducing the coming of Christ. This is actually one of the foundational passages. What we're talking about today, by the way, people, is not just another story in the Bible. This Matthew 1 is the revelation from God about how he chose to become a human so that he could save his people. And guess what? That is the fulfillment of what all scripture is pointing to. John 1 is another one of those texts that helps explain it. It's no accident that a lot of that three out of the four gospels start off by explaining this birth of Jesus, this coming of Jesus and how that changes everything. So John 1 uh, verse 4, it says this, it's talking about Jesus. They call him the word in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John 1 talks about Jesus' coming as a light coming into a world of darkness. Have you ever wondered why we have all these Christmas lights at Christmas? Um, Why we have candles burning uh, on the Advent wreath? Um, There's a lot of reasons, of course, and I'm sure the world has, it's just beautiful. Who doesn't like Christmas lights? But I think what we see in Scripture is that light coming into darkness is just a beautiful picture at Christmas time. Candles, light, whatever, whatever is that you want to use is a reminder that the light came into the world to drive away the darkness. And that could only happen through the coming of Jesus Christ. He is the light. He came at Christmas. You know, one of the things that... Uh, that stuck out to me as this week as I was looking at all this is how much the early church talked about this fact of Jesus becoming a human, okay? Uh, Jesus becoming a human. The early church had a lot of conversations about this. The early church fathers had a lot of debate, a lot of arguments. The early church was constantly trying to figure out how they could explain how Jesus could be both God and human at the same time. And, you know, it's interesting that in those early days of the church, people were more inclined to believe that Jesus was fully God, but not that he could be a human. And it's interesting how these days what you're going to hear more commonly is people will argue that Jesus is just a human, just a special human, a good teacher, but he could never have been God. But, you know, at the center of this argument, this debate, whether it's nowadays or back then, lies this revelation here in in Matthew chapter 1. That God becomes a man through the virgin birth. God miraculously enters into human existence through this birth. There's no human father. Uh, you know, we saw this in the genealogy back here in Matthew chapter 1. Miguel talked about this last week. At the very end of the genealogy, it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. You know, every other person in that genealogy says he was the father of so-and-so. He was the father of so-and-so. But Jesus doesn't have a human father. 
You know, it was necessary for God to become a human so he could save the sinful people of the world. And that's where Mary and Joseph come into this story. You know, Luke 1 focuses a lot more on the role that Mary plays. Um, here in Matthew, the angel simply says twice that the child that's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural thing. I want to read to you just a couple things from uh, some of these early church fathers, how they reasoned through why Jesus had to be a human and why he had to be God. Why this moment of incarnation, this moment of his birth is so foundational to what he came to do. So this is this first one is from, from Anselm. Anselm was talking about why does Jesus have to be both God and human? And it says this, no one but God can make satisfaction for sins, but no one other than man ought to do it. Otherwise, man does not make satisfaction. So if the heavenly kingdom must be filled with men, and this cannot happen unless the satisfaction is made for sin, satisfaction which no one can make but God, and no one ought to make but man, then it is necessary for the God-man to make it. This is what we talk about when we say Christ is the man and God at the same time. Here's another one. Listen to this. Again, this is this is Athanasius, uh, and he actually has a book that's called On the Incarnation. Now, this is pretty dense reading, so I searched through it, found a few phrases here that I think will help us understand why it's so important, why the early church wrestled with this, why it's important for us to have this straight in our minds as well. This is one of the key doctrines of our faith, that Christ was fully human and also fully God. Here's what Athanasius said. He says, he took our body, and not only so, but he took it directly from a spotless, stainless virgin without the agency of a human father, a pure body untainted by intercourse with a man, and thus taking a body like our own because all our bodies were liable to the corruption of death. He surrendered his body to death in place of all and offered it to the father. This he did out of sheer love for us. You know, he goes on, there's, there's just, it's amazing to read how these early church fathers reason through this. And that's just a little taste, not a lot there. But I wanted to read those statements from them to let you see that our whole faith in Jesus Christ and his ability to save us on the cross is rooted right here in what the angel is revealing in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, you have this revelation that God became a human. And only he is able to save people from their sins. A couple other verses that kind of uh, reinforce this. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You know, one thing that that verse kind of points out is the wisdom of God's timing. God's timing was perfect for his first coming, for Jesus' first coming. And, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of generations before Jesus came who said, Oh, God, please send your Messiah now. Now is a perfect time. And God didn't send it until the fullness of time had come. And I think we can have that same struggle as well, right? We could say, God, there's never been a better time to send Jesus. Second coming, we're ready to go. End all this corruption, all this pain, all this sickness, all this brokenness. But we can be confident. That if God's timing was right for Christ's first coming, it'll also be right for his second coming. And until then, we're called to complete the work that he gives us. Another verse, Hebrews 4.15, it says, this is talking about Jesus. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
What a beautiful verse. It's a reminder that Jesus experienced every temptation that we as humans have, and yet he lived a perfect life. So what happened? What we see here is this revelation that God becomes a human. Really what, what Joseph gets here in verse 21 is, is a birth announcement. You know how this works, when, especially when first-time parents have a kid. They send out a birth announcement. They say, we want to let you know so-and-so has arrived. And they give you the name, the date. They sometimes give you the, the weight of the baby. Um, or if you're like, like us, by the time like baby number five came along, you just kind of tack it onto your Christmas letter, right? Um, in fact, we got one this week from my brother who just had his fifth kid. And sure enough, on the back in a little corner, it says, announcing the birth of, of my nephew, Wells. Uh, again, because he's baby number five. But that's what Joseph gets here is a birth announcement before the birth even happens. The angel comes to him and says, do not fear. There's a child in your wife's womb. It's from the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 21, he gives him the name. He says, you will call his name Jesus. A name above all names. What does that name mean? That name means the Lord will save. Yahweh will save. It's a very similar name to Joshua. Probably the Hebrew pronunciation or the Aramaic pronunciation of it would have been Yeshua. So very similar to Joshua, which means he saves or Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. And so this child who's going to be born, that's his title. He saves. The Lord saves. This is the one God sent in order to save the world. Because that's what he says. For he will save his people from their sins. His people. Who are his people? His fellow human beings. His fellow human beings. God sent him as a human so that he could save his people. Not just the Jews, but all humanity. And it says from their sins. You know, uh, this idea of God promising to send someone to save uh, the world. This is something that was promised throughout the Old Testament. We're going to see that in a minute. But a lot of times when you think about someone coming to save you from a problem, you would think about saving me from sickness or disease or maybe from an oppressor or famine or political oppression. In fact, during this time, remember that God's people, the Israelites, uh, were under Roman oppression. They were looking for salvation from the Romans. They wanted somebody to save them from these Roman pigs who were uh, occupying their company, uh, their con- country. But God makes it clear from the very beginning, in Matthew chapter 1, that Jesus is coming to save them from something else, something far more dangerous than sickness, far more dangerous than uh, political oppression. He's coming to save them from their sins because the sins are the things that separate them from God. And so this person, this one who is called, uh, he saves will save them from their sins. So we ask this question again. Well, what happened? God became a human. And he reveals here in this story who this child will be. His name will be Jesus, the name above all names. That brings us to the third thing then that happens. And this is a a comment from Matthew here in chapter 1. In verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So Matthew tells us, let me tell you something, that this thing that just happened, this revelation from the angel, uh, was predicted long, long ago in the Old Testament. A prophecy has been fulfilled. In other words, there's a bigger picture of something that's going on here. The prophet spoke these words, Behold, the virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then uh, I love it how Matthew gives us a little translation. It says, which means God with us. In other words, he gives us a little Hebrew lesson. The word Emmanuel is actually three different words. I am, im means with, uh, manu uh, means us, and then el means God. You've probably heard Elohim at some point. Uh, so with us God is the little Hebrew lesson that Matthew gives us in this verse. And he says, uh, this is the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. You know what what Matthew is saying here is that this prediction from the angel, this prophecy, this revelation from the angel is part of God's plan that has been there for hundreds of years. In fact, since the beginning of time. See, Isaiah lived 700 years before Christ. That's when these words were written. And really... um, Matthew is saying, I think, that that all the things that are said in Isaiah 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 about this child who's going to be born are now going to be fulfilled in this person of Jesus Christ. A couple more of these verses. You've probably heard these verses at Christmas time before. Isaiah 9, verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we have to ask, what happened here? Matthew says a prophecy was fulfilled. A prophecy is being fulfilled. That's what happened. God's plan, which he predicted since the beginning of time, is being fulfilled in this moment in the birth of a child named Jesus who has come to save his people from their sins. And that brings us to the end of the story. These last couple of verses, I believe, show us that a promise has been kept because God gives this prophecy. He gives this revelation to explain it all, uh, that God has become a human. And then we see that he keeps his promise. But you look at how this is unfolds in verses 24 and 25. It says, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So what we see in these last two verses is Joseph faithfully obeying. He receives a revelation from God, and he hears what God has to say, and he says, absolutely, I'm going to obey it. And that is the way that God, God uses Joseph to help fulfill his promise. Isn't that amazing how God does that? He uses the obedience of his people to bring to completion the promises that he has made. It says she gave birth and then Joseph called his name Jesus. Promise fulfilled. You know, when we get to the end of this story and we just ask ourselves, well, what just happened? What happened in this story? Again, if you're thinking about it from Joseph's point of view, in the course of nine months, he goes from being engaged to this girl to now being the father of a child who's not him, his. Um, And then this angel appears in the middle of all that and tells him that this is not a child with a human father at all. This child is from God. And that this child is going to come and save the world. And that is a fulfillment of prophecy. If you think about it, Joseph's probably standing there thinking, what just happened after the birth of this child? What just happened to me? My life has been changed forever. Because God became a human. 
So we can look at the story and we can walk through those facts, those four three things, and say, well, we can see what happened. Um, we can see the story, how it unfolded, and why God wanted it to, or how God wanted it to. But I think the bigger question we want to ask before we leave here today is why did God have this happen? Why did God send his son to become a human? And the answer to that question, I believe, is love. Next Sunday, we're going to light the fourth candle of Advent. That represents love. And the reason that God did this, the reason that Jesus came down from heaven, as Philippians 2 says, leaving behind all his glory so that he could become a filthy, smelly human being was because he loved us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The reason why this story happened, why this happens, is because God says, I love you. I love you. It's his way of showing love for you in the ultimate way. By becoming one of us so that he could save us. So the question is, how do you respond to this love this morning? How do you respond to this story of God's love? And I would give you two things, two things. The first one is this, welcome the king. Welcome the king into your heart. You see where he comes from. You see who he is. You see that he loves you. You see that he died as one of us to save us from our sins. And not only that, he did not stay dead, which means that we can have eternal life forever. Welcome him through faith. Believe that he did this on your behalf. Welcome the king into your heart, into your life. If you've already welcomed him, invite him to, to join you every single day as you walk through life. Walk through life with him. But that's the first thing is welcome this king who has come. Welcome him to come into your heart. If you've never done that before, if you've never said, Lord, I trust you, you are my savior, please do it today. There's no better day than today. Come talk to me or somebody else here at the church. I'd love to talk to you about that. So that's the first thing is welcome this newborn king. Welcome Jesus into your heart and into your life. And the second thing is worship the king. Worship the king. We're going to see that next week as we look at what happens with the wise men. But worship the king. When you look at this amazing plan of God, which was predicted throughout the Old Testament, and just the wisdom of it, all the things that had to be brought together into one person, when God became a human, how can you do anything but worship? Back to this theme of, of, of music at Christmas. I think some of these Christmas songs help us in a way uh, that's so powerful. So powerful to think about what it is that God has done. I'm not going to sing you a song this morning to close because uh, that would not be worshipful for any of us in here. <laughs> but I do want to just read you some of the words from O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I would encourage you to go and listen to it um, uh, on your own at some point this afternoon. I think we're actually singing it next Sunday again. But this song, I think, captures some of what we were talking about and really points us to the beauty of what God accomplishes through this person, Jesus Christ. We'd have Miguel do it if he wasn't tied up over there uh, with youth right now. But I'm just going to read it. So listen to these words, and then we're going to close with prayer. So the first verse says this, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Verse 2 says, For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above 
While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. And then the very end of the song says this. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you again for revealing to us through Matthew how you became a human. Uh, Lord, how Jesus came uh, to save us as a human. Father, I thank you that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us yesterday, today, and forever. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.